Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 183 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for, uh, help me out here. No, don't help me out because this is supposed to be a surprise. Today is Saturday. There we go. I knew the brain would eventually, a good old noggin would eventually kick in that gov. Uh, We've offended all of our British listeners. A Saturday, um, January, February, March, April, April 11th. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, with this fucking virus... There's no point for days anymore. You're just gonna stay home or stay around your area. What if you don't got to go to work? What the fuck is the point of a day? Now I do want to say that um, wow, it looks like you guys are putting out a lot more content nowadays, and we are. But this particular episode exists for the sole reason that contractually with the ExpressVPN, we were supposed to put out an episode um, on the 13th because Himalaya still thinks that we release our episodes weekly every Monday, and I guess I've been too lazy to tell them otherwise, so this episode exists strictly out of a need to exist. Um, That doesn't mean that it's going to be any crappier, but it does mean that it's going to be a mic-free podcast, but don't worry, I upped the pheromone levels, I added an extra chromosome, and now we've created a Stephanie. Say hello. What's up, guys? How's it going, Steph? How are you doing? How are you doing during this quarantine? <laughs> well, um, normally, uh, some of you may know I DJ like you do, and uh, so that left me a little, a little frightful being out of work. So I decided to take a temp job back in uh, retail, what? Because I'm essential. I get to be essential. So I'm being worked to death actually so that's really really fun and the opposite experience of what a lot of people are having in quarantine like every day i feel like my legs are going to fall off of my legs yeah i haven't been i haven't gotten to the point yet to where i feel like okay i'm going to be out on my ass unless i go get a shitty minimum wage job the reason why i'm avoiding that is because the amount of time because to me time is very precious these days the amount of time that it would take me to earn uh, in a week, what I'd earn in, you know, maybe arguably one or two days DJing, I would much rather have that free time to do things like create these podcasts or create a YouTube video that could potentially earn me money oh, or yeah. to create uh, a do a live stream for our band uh, and make money that way, you know, rather than this sucker ass shit where you're working for the man making $10 an hour, you know, I mean, no disrespect to anyone that has to do that, but I just, you know, I don't want to yeah. do, I did that for six years at CVS. I don't want to fucking do that again. I mean, I've worked retail 12 years, but, uh, you know, so going back is nothing new. That being said, I don't have the, uh, the other stuff to fall back on like you do. I don't have, uh, money making itself on YouTube and things like that. So I can't just whip up, uh, random stuff. So I, it's like, you know, do this or possibly lose my car because I don't have full <laughs> trust that the Corona blast. Oh my God. No. I don't have full trust that, yeah, the government will just, uh, they'll do all the things that they're supposed to do during a crisis. I don't fucking believe that for a second. So um, I, I'm i making definitely less and working more than I would if I were still DJing, and it does suck. Um, and I have to take a lot of extra precautions that I'm not bringing home. Little little germy guys, because my mom is uh, immuno- uh, compromised, so been disinfecting everything and wearing a mask at work, which is really just so comfortable when you're running around heavy breathing on yourself. Um, I've learned that like having any kind of food with peanut butter in it while at work is not a pleasant mask wearing experience for the rest of the day. Because peanut butter is very potent. Oh my god, so, you are such an embarrassment. 
I live. I, I live to please. You have to wear a mask at your at work. I I choose to. Um, for because uh, another thing I think about with this virus is, I've worked my entire life for the voice that I have, and if my lungs get compromised, like they're not already fucking compromised with my uh, allergy induced asthma BS I get every year. Uh, but if that like I I don't I don't know how much truth and not truth there is because there's so much information being fed to us all at once and you know there, there, there's so much i would God, rather just, just make your point <laughs> fuck stop you're being mean um i would rather just be uh take take the precautions because i am working basically full full time right now with the public and it's really fun because nobody i i live in st augustine nobody can stay the fuck home people are bringing their kids they want to shop for a cute new swimsuit they want it, to it's like being treated like fucking vacation and it's really it, it's it's really kind of funny to me because basically like what i've been doing is people do mobile order things and i go through the store and i collect their stuff and i bag it I shit you not, people have been asking for, like, a singular box of toothpicks. Or I'm just like, you mean to tell me with your fancy-ass cheese parties, you can't just pick the fucking piece of cheese up? You need a toothpick, you ass? Like, just stupid things. People have been ordering stupid things that, yeah, you definitely need this during the apocalypse. But, you know, part of me, part of me feels strongly like, oh, yeah, okay, let's roll our eyes, you need this. And the other part of me is like, you know what, maybe you're spending more time with your family and that's a good thing. Well, look, here's so here's the thing. Hard. There's a reason why Florida Man is called Florida Man. <laughs> Police can't. We are the we are the 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 country or the country. We are the state of the South that I would say rebels the most against shit. Yeah. Because we're used to having uh, not pandemics but we're used to having epidemics every year when hurricane yep, season rolls around that's what i've equated it to is that this is how we behave during our emergency procedures and so that's what we're treating it as like every day is a hurricane party yeah but it's different but like florida doesn't know how to do different we, this is what we do we stock up on our alcohol on our water you know the toilet paper thing is new um but yeah uh, i don't understand how that ever got I how that became the viral <laughs> need of a uh, corona outbreak. I've been doing all the grocery shopping for my mom too so that she doesn't get she hasn't left the house in like 3 weeks. That being said, the things that she likes are in short supply right now and it's really annoying cuz my mom just likes having soup for lunch every day. Do you know how fucking hard it is to find soup right now? It's annoying and they won't let you buy more than like two cans at most places that are open and it's like, yeah, that's not going to cut it. So, of all the things, fucking soup Eggs are one of my favorite things. That's being annoyingly hoarded as well. Just stu stupid things. And avocados. People, knock it the fuck off. I'm sick of not being able to get avocados. Okay. Uh, no one cares about your ability to not get avocados. I care. They're delicious. Uh, so those of you out there who might who might be newer, newish to the podcast might be wondering... Who is this voice that I'm not familiar with? I hate this person I automatically. I like her. Uh, this is Stephanie. She is in the band with me, our band Dancing with Ghosts, the band that I sometimes pimp out and shove down your throats, which you, you take very well. I do appreciate. But um, she is my singer slash I, I like to say stepsister at this point. Yeah, um, we're 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 very um, familial, I guess you could say. Um a lot of um, shared showering and such. No, I'm just, <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, it was, I had to make it weird. That's uh, it's, good. It's my job. But no, uh, she's in the band. We spend a lot of time together. So, um, you know, Mike, a lot of times can't just jump on and do a podcast. It's, it's We got to plan it out, around, you know, around his schedule and all that. So um, th she was just kind of in a pinch. Uh, we needed... We needed someone to uh, to where I'm not sitting here talking out into the ether by myself, which I've had to do before and I'm willing to do, but I don't necessarily like doing it. Um, so, yeah, we're going to she's going to help me with the podcast today. Um, like I said, the, the we're, we're not etching Mike out of the bands or out of the uh, the band. <laughs> yeah, Mike plays the saxophone. No, we're not. Uh, we're not etching Mike out of the uh, podcast or anything like that, because I know I've been um, sharing a lot of band shit on our uh, Facebook group as well. 
um, which you can join by going to Facebook, going to the group section and typing in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. It's an awesome group. I highly recommend you joining it. Um, but with that being said, we will be bugging you Monday because we have our um, our final competition with this record label. And if we win this one, then we're going to get all kinds of uh, goodies, uh, interviews, and s- Lots such. Lots of hype that is desperately needed when yes. you are a DIY band. Yes, exactly. So Monday, will prob- some of you who I'm close enough with to be Facebook friends with, I-, I will definitely be hitting you up and asking for your vote again. So So expect that. And uh, actually, this is going to be released Monday, so there's no way that uh, you're going to hear this before that. Well, the Patreons will, actually. Any fucking way, this episode, we're, uh, we're going to take it back to the old school. We're going to cover some classic Unsolved Mysteries cases, because we just finished the Tiger King documentary. I'm glad that's over, honestly. Uh, I Honestly, today, watching these Unsolved Mysteries segments and preparing for this podcast, it really brought me back to... Uh, kind of the formula that I like the most and I guess I'm most comfortable with when it comes to doing this podcast, watching two, you know, 10-minute segments at most, getting a lot of juicy information from a short amount of time, and then discussing it. Um, It's fine doing the Netflix documentaries every now and then, but it just takes so much more of a time investment. And like I was saying in the last episode, I kind of feel like a lot of these docu-series kind of like extend it out longer than what it needs to be mm-hmm. because they know people's binging habits and they know that that uh, an hour documentary just isn't good enough anymore. It's got to be a eight or nine hour documentary broken up into fucking seven pieces, you know. So uh, I don't know. I mean, Tire Kingdom, fair enough. But I, I still, in my personal opinion, I feel like there was some fat on that uh, docu-series that could have been cut out. With that being said, we are handling two cases this week. Uh, the first one that we're going to be talking about is the Victoria Peak Treasure. So we got a treasure segment coming at you, folks. Uh, unlike the Perhaps It's You podcast, uh, I love the treasure segments. I don't know what problem, Liz, I'm going to personally call <laughs> her out. I don't know what problem she has with the treasure segments. Um, you know, we, we need to we need to get them back on this podcast and I can... Uh, basically complain to her about... Slash harass. Yeah, slash harass her about why she doesn't like certain segments, even though I already, you know, with the Alcatraz thing, they don't like that one, but... They'll probably be asking you why do you don't like the, the Lost Love segments, so... I don't know. I don't think they like the Lost Love segments either. I don't think anybody really likes the Lost like, Love segments. I, I'm here for all of the murder. That's that's pretty much what I always tuned in slash scared myself to death as a child for was the murder. I, you know, the murder was fine, but really, to me, what it boiled down to with Unsolved Mysteries was the UFO and the ghost segments as a kid, especially the UFO ones. I loved those the most, and I think I closeted closetedly liked the fraud segments, but I couldn't really admit that like I really liked them. I just... There was just something about them, you know, the Dale, uh, the log cabin fraud. Uh, those ones come to mind. Like, I just, I just, I don't know. I just love, I don't know why I like the fraud ones so much. And any documentary that's based on a fraud, like the McMillions documentary that me and Mike keep talking about that we want to eventually cover, where, you know, the McDonald's Monopoly game, if you were playing that in the 90s, guess what? You had no chance of getting that boardwalk piece to get the million dollar mm-hmm. prize. You had no chance. Uh, there was someone on the top who worked for the marketing company that came up with the McDonald's Monopoly game, who was stealing those pieces, and it's a whole huge network of fraud. It's a a great um, docu-series that we'll be talking about eventually in the future. So anyway... In that regard, I don't know. I feel kind of the same way about that as I do about the lottery. You know, if I won 10,000 bucks, that's pretty freaking cool. I could still do stuff with 10,000 bucks. So the first segment, we're talking about the Victoria Peak treasure. This aired in uh, the earlier days of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, it first premiered uh, May 10th, uh, 1989. So this was probably the first season, I would have to say. If Mike were here, he would he would be able to mansplain the actually it was from this segment. No, I'm just joking. Mike doesn't mansplain. He more nerdsplains than yes. anything else. Um, he would be able to correct me on that. But I'm going to say 89 was the first season. If not, it could have even been one of the specials, although I feel the specials aired in 88. Anyway, the Victoria Peak treasure is one of the most famous treasures in the United States, second only perhaps to the Lost Dutchman Mine, which is another great treasure segment that we've already talked about on this 
uh, podcast. In November of 1937, deer hunter Milton Doc Noss went searching for fresh water and springs near the peak when he discovered the hidden entrance to a tunnel. An old ladder led into a maze of tunnels around a large cavern containing an old chest inscribed with the words sealed silver in Old English. Now, Stephanie, if you were in the <laughs> desert exploring and you saw this hidden, hidden tunnel uh, with an old ladder that led into it, would you, would you go in there? Uh, okay, so here's the thing about, about that and about me. I am not afraid of heights. I will climb on anything and have a good time. If I'm by myself, I say this all the time, I don't want to be a statistic. I'm not going to climb down on some rickety old ladder that could break on me where I slowly starve to death and die at the bottom of a chute. Now, what I would do is mark it and bring people back with me. And that way, you know, you got safety numbers. If, if something does happen and that ladder does break, you know, people can haul your ass out. But I'm just not. So you don't you don't want to climb into what could potentially be a rape dungeon. Yeah. See, I have a, I have a good history statistically of not putting myself in those situations. So I think I'm going to continue to be alive because of that. So I know I would not be like, oh, yeah, this seems like a great way to die. Let's do this. No, no, let's. It seems like it could be a really cool adventure with people with me. I think climbing into an abandoned um, tunnel uh, that has nothing but an old ladder, I think as a 90s Def Jam comic might put it, some white people shit. Yes. Um, Yes, yes, yes. Specifically white guy shit. So anyway, um, inside the chest that was found uh, were a large amount of coins Old, very old-looking doubloons from the reenactment, from what I could see. Uh, but this was just the beginning. Doc would soon discover a treasure that was estimated in 1989's money to be worth around $1.7 billion, which, from any kind of math we've done in the past, whenever numbers come up on Unsolved Mysteries, you can essentially double that to equal today's money. So we're talking... And this is from 1937, was the original stuff? 1989? Yeah, no, okay. uh, 1937. So uh, it would be $1.7 in 1989 money, so probably $3.2 billion in 2020 money. So that's a fuck ton of pocket change for uh, an American, uh, a, singular, a singular American. For the American government, that is uh, <laughs> a drop in the bucket of the stimulus uh, package that they passed recently, which yep. I haven't gotten my fucking check yet. Nope. Hope you guys out there get yours soon. Um, and to anyone not living in America, I hope you get your Cronins or your Flugen Havels or whatever you call your currency in other countries. That's right, Flugen Havel. <laughs> um, you can you can print that. You can send take that to the bank. Doc had been traveling, uh, a traveling medicine showman. In 1933, he married Ova Beckwith, whom he nicknamed Babe. They settled down and opened a foot clinic in Hot Springs, New Mexico, because apparently there was a mighty need for a foot clinic in Hot Springs, New Mexico. What would you do in a 1937 uh, foot clinic in Hot Springs, New Mexico? Well... I guess the need for are, are you walking around on all that hot? I guess that's true. I guess there'd be a lot walking of walking. Lot. I guess walking was a lot more important back then, so a, a foot clinic would be a lot probably, more of a essential thing. Yeah, you could probably sprain your ankles on all those rocks and stuff because from the from the video, it looked very arid and rocky. Do you think foot fetishes existed back then? I'm sure every fetish existed back then, but maybe everybody thought they were alone in it. So I, I I think fetishes uh, evolve and and, oh, yes. and develop out of nothing. For instance, there was no way that there were uh, My Little Pony fetishists <laughs> out there in the 1930s. That's a new thing. Yeah, but you know there were still some farmers who were looking at their their horses a little questioningly. So. Well, yeah, that's called the that's, South. That's, that's, in, that's, that's not that's really. The, a f- it was in the Bible. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so the they opened the the foot clinic. And Doc was known to love adventure and history. Um, Clearly. Babe was described as a strong-willed, loving, and generous person. From the moment Doc discovered the treasure of Victoria Peak, he and Babe spent every free moment exploring the tunnels that led deep inside the mountain. Doc found that the passageways in the mountain led to several caverns. In one of them, he found 79 human skeletons 
stacked in a small enclosure. So, so can we talk about that? Because at no, no point does we can't. at no point does this circle back to that. Like, hey, we counted not like one or two or even ten should be a warning. Seventy nine skeletons stacked in a small enclosure in one of the caverns. Shouldn't that be like, hey, get the fuck out of Dodge, like get out of here, like bad juju, like they don't bring that up again. And I think that's very peculiar that they're, they're just like, well, nothing nothing to see here. You're just going to keep mining and doing stuff. I mean, for all they know, a fucking Bantha could be in there, <laughs> yeah. you know. Who is very organized. He's got a touch of OCD. Do you have a lightsaber or a <laughs> blaster pistol? I don't think you can take this thing on. I mean, so in another cave, but yeah, that is compelling that they found all those skeletons. Now, in other mines, for instance, in... Um, uh, Roger Rojas from uh, the whole Buddha treasure that was found over there in, um forget what country it was, um, Roger Rojas in, in the, um, uh, Ferdinand Marcos, the president of, uh, what country was it? Uh, Philippines. It was, it was, yeah, it was a Philippines treasure. Um, what happened with that mine was there were Japanese soldier skeletons found where essentially their comrades were leaving the mine and they dynamited it so fast that they shut in some of their comrades Ooh, and yikes. they just died in this cave, but they weren't neatly stacked, no. and, you know, and there weren't 79 of them. So, yeah, that is something that you kind of wish that the episode had touched a little bit more on. Like, how do you even stack 79 skeletons? Yeah, I don't know. This yeah, is weird. You, you this do, isn't a one-person job. You do kind of wish they'd elaborated more on that yeah. bit. But in another cave, he found amazing riches. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Jewels, coins, priceless artifacts. He described three huge oval-topped chests, which he opened. He brought a couple of swords and knives out of the cave. He also brought out a crown, which Babe cleaned off in her sink. According to her, there were 243 diamonds and one pigeon blood ruby in the mm-hmm. crown. In a deeper cavern, Doc found what appeared to be a stack of worthless iron bars. Babe asked him to bring out some of those bars. However, he said they were too heavy to get out of there. But he was able to find a small one, and he brought it out to show her. Slash she harassed him into doing it. And uh, in the reenactment, it was pretty funny because he brought it out and he goes, <laughs> There it is, babe. Watch it. It's heavy. And then she goes, heavy? Pig iron? Well, and then she grabs and she goes, well, dang, that is heavy. It's not an exaggeration either, though. The, the reenactment lady was just she was, she was extra. A, she was a little overzealous. She's yeah. like, I am going to get that part in fried green tomatoes, goddammit. <laughs> Real high I will be the southern belle that they are looking for. <laughs> this is my chance to finally make it big in Hollywood. Um, so anyway... They noticed that there was some yellow on these bars at some point. They realized that these pig iron was actually gold. He later told her that inside the cavern there were as many as 16,000 bars of gold. In the spring of 1938, six months after Doc made his discovery, he and Babe went to Santa Fe to establish legal ownership of his find. They filed a lease with the state of New Mexico for the entire section of land surrounding Victorio Peak. Subsequently... They filed mining claims on and around Victoria Peak. They then filed a treasure trove claim, which has since become the historic Noss family claim to the treasure in Victoria Peak. This paperwork provided the Noss family's legal claim to the property. Over a period of two years, Doc mined the peak. Witnesses say he took out more than 200 gold bars from the cavern. I can only imagine, I can only equate this with when I moved out of my parents' house, I had all this childhood <laughs> bullshit that I needed to eventually bring over to my house. And a lot of it was like moldy and musty and shit that you, you almost wanted to throw away. But it was like, yeah, you know, these are all my CDs and it's in this case and it's heavy. And it, there's a lot of bullshit involved in moving stuff. You got to take it out of the room. You got to wheel it to your car somehow down the stairs. You bring it to your house. Bring it up the stairs of your house. Clean it off. It, it's And these are just CDs. I can't imagine, you know, these bars of gold that might have weighed... 30, 40, 50 pounds each, maybe. I don't know. Like, that would be a huge undertaking. I can only imagine the man hours that would go into doing such a thing. And if he's, from the reenactment, it looks like they go out together. 
he does all of the actual mining stuff and she just hangs out on top as lookout is what it looked like. Yeah. So I don't know if he had to do all of this manual stuff himself, but man, that's that's exhausting. I guess she's the cleaner of the goods. I, I don't know. She gave him a mean blowjob after oh, all that. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, don't act like we've never talked about shit like this. I'm just saying because she, she's not, she, she's not, despite being called babe. She is she, not a babe. Yeah. I mean, I've done this before. The yeah. hotness meter, I, I gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta dock her, but she's old. What do you expect? We all get gross. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're gross right now. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyway, anyway, witnesses say he took out more than 200 gold bars from the cavern. He then proceeded to hide the bars from everyone, including his own family. They were rehidden in a variety of locations all over the desert. Some were hidden by roads, by a certain marked telephone pole. Some were dropped in horse tanks at the nearby ranches. Others were buried in the sand with different colored rocks over the top. He did this not only out of a fear of theft, but also because it was illegal at the time to own gold that was not in the form of of jewelry and um which i thought was very interesting i feel like he did this with the typical case of you know the treasure finder haphazardly just reburying treasure in a means that it, it can't be found later and i feel like this happens all the fucking time in these cases and i get it you know you get this adrenaline rush and also this like panic of like holy shit i finally made it i'm never have to work again a day a, a, a day in my life if i don't want to i gotta bury this shit you know, someone might find it, you know, people will kill you over this amount of money. And so you're just kind of just hurrying as fast as you can to like bury this treasure. And you may also have uh, too much faith in your brain's ability to remember stuff. Right. And then you forget. And now, you know, um, it's lost to yeah. the earth. Unless you're really organized and you keep maps and stuff, which for people like us, I know that's what we would do, but. Well, and then even then, though, you know, it's your map. It's your version. It's your, it's your you know, might as well be Chinese to someone else who doesn't. Yeah, but, uh, if, but yeah, if, if, if you're digging it and putting it in the dirt, yeah, that's going to be just stupid. But like he said, I put it in a horse tank and, you know, stuff like that. That's very clearly like, oh, <clears throat> this will probably be there unless a human finds it. Well, like in the Lost Dutchman's Mine, uh, when the brothers and the woman who took care of the Dutchman on his deathbed when he was explaining the details on how to find his mind uh, on his deathbed to the his caretaker, he would say things like, I've almost got to show you where it is. You've almost got to know exactly where to look. And that's the problem with a lot of these mm -hmm. uh, buried treasure, lost treasure, and all that business. So anyway, as Doc and Babe solicited more help from friends and neighbors, they became more paranoid that someone would steal the treasure. In the fall of 1939, Doc decided to try and open a larger passageway into Victoria Peak. Because they didn't have enough. He hired a mining engineer to go with him and help him dynamite out of the way a huge boulder that was hanging in the lower portion of the shaft. Doc and the engineer got into an argument about the dynamite situation. Doc did not believe that the mountains could handle the dynamite. Uh, however, the engineer claimed it would. Doc was right. The blast caused a cave-in which collapsed the fragile shaft. He had shut himself out of his own mine. With only a few gold bars left in his possession, Doc spent the next nine years trying to sell them illegally on the black market. He hoped to raise the funds to reopen his claim. In 1948, he entered into a partnership with Charlie Ryan. He struck a deal to sell him 51 of his gold bars. At the last minute... Doc felt that Charlie would double-cross him. He asked an acquaintance, Tony Jolly, to help him rebury the gold in a new hiding place. Tony recalled handling 110 gold bars that night. The next day, March 5, 1949, Doc and Charlie got into an argument, and at one point, Charlie pulled a gun on him. He demanded that they discuss the whereabouts of the gold. He allegedly said that Doc would uh, that he would kill Doc if he didn't tell him the location of the gold. Doc fled the home and went towards his truck, to which uh, Charlie's bitch wife was like, "Shoot him! He's he's getting his gun! Shoot him!" When in all actuality, he was probably just trying to get out of the situation. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna leave this house where I'm being threatened and go out to my gun or go out to my vehicle and get my gun yeah. and kill you, rather people. than just get the fuck out. Right. So, but anyway, Charlie shot and killed him, and his body laid on the truck's front bumper, to which they actually took a picture and showed it on Unsolved Mysteries. It wasn't a graphic picture, but it was just like, 
You know, you, you, this is what greed in, um, you know, fortune get people a lot of times who, mm-hmm. who are not used to having money. I mean, there's a whole series of documentaries on uh, that Channel E that I don't know even exists anymore called uh, The Lottery Curse of people yep. who would win the lottery and a lot of times would end up dead because it just ruined their life. You went from having no money to having all the money and uh, they didn't know how to handle it. What I think is interesting is, you know, uh, there, there's two there's two things going on here, really. One of them is like, okay, you already had so much, but it wasn't enough, even though it's so, so much that's astronomically, basically incalculable to, like, little nothing, you know, people with nothing like us. But then you've also got, like, well, if it wasn't illegal to have gold outside of the form of jewelry back then, would he even have found himself in this situation of paranoia and all that in the first place if he could have just been like yep i filed the claim i did this all the right way i can just go to the bank with it and i don't think that he would have found himself in this situation in the first place i think when you stumble upon that much treasure there's got to be a part of you that's like there's no way the government isn't gonna fuck me on this and well (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, With the murder of Doc Noss, his claim fell to his heirs. For three years, they struggled to reopen the passageway to the treasure. But in 1952, as it seemed they were getting close, the United States Army chased them off the peak. Uh The state of New Mexico had relinquished the peak out from under the Noss family to the United States Army for the expansion of the White Sands Missile Range. Sure. Yeah, right? (laughs) Babe and the Noss family were forced off the land by the Army. She was told that she would be allowed to return to the site as soon as it was convenient and not an interference to national security which are convenient words that they can throw around to be like in new Fuck you this is ours yep babe continued to petition the department of the army at white sands missile range and uh, the pentagon level asking permission to go back and conduct a proper excavation to reopen the treasure cavern However, she was repeatedly denied access to the tr- to the peak and interestingly some of the personnel from the Holman Air Force Base in White Sands Missile Range inadvertently stumbled into a cavern on Victoria Peak and reported finding a room stacked <laughs> full of gold bullion. Yeah, there was no stumbling in. No. No, no, no. Like the whole thing had collapsed. Oh, I just oh, I tripped on this gold bar that was just hanging out here where we just conveniently are hanging out as military people do. Airman First Class Thomas Barlett and a group of off-duty soldiers were told that the peak was off-limits. However, they used the excuse that they were hunting to go to the peak and search for the gold. They were the ones that stumbled upon a backdoor entrance to the cave and the treasure within it. However, they decided not to bring any gold out of the peak. Berlet reported his find, but he was denied permission to explore further. He later returned on his own and dynamited the new entrance in four places to conceal it. All right, and it's time for a little advertisement break. Okay, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But there's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. Ain't that the truth? I've been watching all these docu-series like there's no tomorrow. So this whole week I've been using ExpressVPN to binge watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is, for whatever reason, only available in Netflix of Australia. It's so simple to do. I just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change my location to Australia, refresh Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, whether it be Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's ridiculously fast. There's never any bu- or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on a personal device or on the big screen, wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now at expressvpn.com slash UUM, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash UUM. Back to the show. Over a year later, the Secretary of the Army created a top-secret classified military operation at Victoria Peak. In 1961, Babe, along with the state of New Mexico, filed an injunction against the Army to stop them from excavating Victoria Peak. In 1963, the Army sought exclusive rights to the peak, including mineral rights. 
don't know why they would do that. The state of New Mexico denied the request. However, aerial photographs showed several roads crisscrossing the peak, suggesting that they had tried to excavate from there. Word of Doc's hidden gold leaked to other treasure hunters. An anonymous group hired Boston attorney Effley Bailey. Uh, They were seeking permission from Attorney General John Mitchell, both to excavate at Victoria Peak and to sell gold bars. I think F. Lee Bailey went on to represent O.J. Simpson in the O.J. Simpson trial as an interesting FYI. What? I <clears> thought that was, um, what is it, Kardashian or whatever. That he, Dude, O.J. Simpson had like four uh, or five lawyers. I was like, isn't that why he's famous in the first place? Yeah, it is, but if, he, he had multiple lawyers. If O.J. hadn't done that, we wouldn't have the Kardashians. I'm sorry, didn't not do that because he's not guilty. Anyway. Uh, they were seeking permission from the Attorney General John Mitchell both to excavate Victoria Peak and sell gold bars. The secret of the gold became public at the Watergate hearings when John Dean testified about Bailey's client's requests. That's fucking random. Bailey and his group, which consisted of several military and ex-military people, had a vast treasure in gold bars located somewhere in, south, in the southwest. Allegedly, this was the same place that Doc had made his discovery. Uh. Because, the, uh, because of the enormous publicity, the Army finally allowed a group of private claimants, including Babe, Babe Noss, F. Lee Bailey's clients, and Airman Burlett's partner, as well as representative the Apache Nation and the alleged heirs of Jesse James, to undertake wow. a 10-day expedition in 1977 led by professional treasure hunter Norman Scott. His purpose was to determine once and for all if treasure really did exist at Victoria Peak, Uh, During the expedition, scientist Lambert Dolphin from the Stanford Research Institute conducted ground radar tests to determine if there was an underground chamber deep inside the mountain. He discovered echoes that were at least 300 to 400 feet deep. This led him to conclude that there was indeed a large cavern at the base of the mountain. This was exactly where Doc said it was located. In 1977, the expedition was the last official attempt to find the treasure inside Victoria Peak, the crown Doc found buried uh, lies. The crown Doc found lies buried along with other parts of the treasures somewhere in the New Mexican desert. After his death, his heirs never recovered any of the gold bars. However, Tony Jolly, the man who helped him hide the bars, went back years later and retrieved ten of them. After decades of controversy, legend, and intrigue, the heirs of Babe and Doc Noss are still. Fighting for their rights. Um, The original treasure, the origin of the treasure is unrevealed. There are four theories to explain its origins. One theory is that it is the lost treasure of Juan de Onate, the man who founded New Mexico as a Spanish colony, reported he had amassed an Aztec treasure of gold, silver, and jewels. Another theory is that it belonged to a Catholic missionary named Father LaRue. He operated gold mines near Victoria Peak in 1797 and stored his gold in a cavern there. Yet another theory is that the treasure belonged to Maximilian, the emperor of Mexico during the 1860s. He attempted to get his wealth out of Mexico when he learned of an assassination plot. Legend says that he sent a palace full of valuables to the United States. And then the final theory is that the treasure belonged to an Apache tribe, which had raided uh, stagecoaches carrying California mined gold. Um, I don't so, know about that last one unless they already had that shaft kind of, I don't know. I don't know about the last one. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? So this case is unresolved. After the broadcast, two viewers called the telecenter to report information about the treasure that had been told to them by an army captain assigned to security at the White Sands Missile Range. He told them that he had not seen the tre- that not only seen the treasure, but had also been ordered to remove it during a top secret operation. The first call came from C.G. and Juanita Irwin, a retired couple living in Baytown, Texas. Juanita's brother, Captain Orby Swanner, was stationed at White Sands Missile Range in the early 1960s. When the Irwins visited him in 1961, he told them an extraordinary story, which he asked them to keep secret, which they did a really great job of. So you, I, I usually immediately go on any kind of uh, television show. Yeah, Yeah. anything like that. I just want to make sure that I definitely keep it secret. He told them about the treasure and said that he had gone to Victoria Peak and confirmed that it was there. A secret mission was then conducted to extract the gold. 
The Pentagon then sent a task force, which included Captain Swanner, to the peak. The task force in inventoried the treasure with, uh, within the multiple caverns. They also f- uh, photographed it. According to Swanner, it was uh, worth over $3 million in 1961. They then removed the gold by helicopter and truck. Juanita was shocked by her brother's story. However, she was uh, certain that he would not make it up. CG asked him what they did with the gold. He believed they took it to Fort Knox. <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries contacted the Pentagon... Um, specifically this guy named Gordon Hobbs, and Stephanie wants to note that he had no lips. He had no lips, and all of his responses, he definitely doesn't know anything, and he looks like he sweats a lot, like nervously, nervously. So, you know, if that's important to anybody, there you go. No lips. (laughs) What is wrong with you? They confirmed that they confirmed that Captain Swanner had indeed served as an officer assigned to security at White Sands Missile Range in 1961. Gordon Hobbs from the office of the the guy no lips that we were just talking about from the office of the Assistant Secretary of the Army responded to Swanner's uh, allegations. He claimed that there were no records that said that the secret mission and removal of gold took place. Babe's grandson Terry Delones questioned the Irwin, uh, the Irwins about their story. According to CG, only Swanner and three others at the White Sands Misarange were involved in the treasure removal. The others were employees from the Pentagon. The Irwins' story corroborated was corroborated by another caller, Russell Dunn. He had worked with Captain Swanner after Swanner retired from the Army. He claimed that Swanner had told him the same story that he allegedly told the Irwins. He told Russell. And the the Secret Service and another government agency were involved in removing the gold. He told Russell that the gold was in bars and that they were taken away in trucks. Russell is convinced that Swanner was telling the truth. There is still more evidence that suggests that the gold was removed from Victoria Peak in a clandestine operation. In an affidavit, Judge H.L. Moreland of Loveland, Texas, claimed on October 28, 1961, he and three friends observed several men in military fatigues on the peak. They also saw a military jeep, a weapons carrier, a number of poles about the width of a telephone pole, and other timbers cut and notched. In his affidavit, Moreland said that he and his group actually talked to Captain Swanner. He ordered them to leave the missile range. Moreland reported the Army activity on Victorio Peak to Babe Noss. She told Oscar Jordan, a lawyer with the New Mexico State Land Office, He contacted a colonel at White Sands and asked him if someone was digging there. The colonel told him that no one was digging at the peak. However, however, he also said that if there is, it's none of your goddamn business. According to Jordan, he received a call within 24 hours from Major General John R. Schinkel, the commander at White Sands. He admitted that there had been digging at the peak and that it would stop immediately. Thirty days later, under the cover of darkness, Moreland and his friends returned to the peak. By that point, it was totally deserted. He saw remains of extensive excavations, apparently carried out by the government. There were loads, there were roads, scaffolds, and tunnels. However, there were no sign of Babe's treasure. Moreland believes that the government uh, still has possession of it. Hobbs and the Secretary of the Army denies this. He <laughs> claims that the government has been refuting. This claim for decades, according to C.G. Captain Swanner, left evidence of his presence in one of the caves at Victoria Peak during the 70, 1977 expedition. Babe and the other excavators found Swanner's evidence inside the peak. They found some military debris and battery packs in the deeper tunnels. They took pictures of an inscription on the wall, which read Captain Orby Swanner, 7 October 1961. Swanner's military serial number was also included. It is not known if any other treasure has ever been found at Victoria Peak. Yeah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) is the Victoria Peak treasure story. It was a good segment. It uh, definitely unfolded with some a couple extra things. I did think it was funny when they talked to the Pentagon official who has no lips um, that I mean, have have you ever seen one of these segments where they contact a military official and they're like, yeah, we totally did that thing. No, right, exactly. It's, it's the military. Yeah. All they ever have to do is say, no, I don't know anything about that. I've not seen anything about that. No, because the military isn't going to admit to anything. They like have that. no responsibility to tell you the truth. No, no. And as the uh, one guy said in the Danny Casolaro segment, 
about uh, the police and government in general, the the number one rule is when you screw up, you cover up. So, yeah, you know, covering up is kind of their thing. So that's their jam. Also, part of the segment quickly turned into like the world's biggest game of telephone. Well, he said this and then we called this person and then they said this and that. I was like, oh, my bunch of hearsay. He said, she said, whatever it is. But I guess when you have so technical few involved that know stuff that's just kind of the way you gotta go about it i guess i don't know i don't know it was a good segment though i really liked it all right and through the magic of radio you have no idea that me and stephanie have actually been gone for hours have taken a nap eaten a lot of mexican (laughs) food and are now trying to nurse our wounds with some coffee we are back this is uh, part of the crisis of being in your 30s. Uh, eating Mexican food definitely gives you a major case of the itis. Um, I don't know if it's all. I don't know if it's everybody, but it sure does us anyway. It it, it, it hit really hard today. <laughs> I think every time I'm around Stephanie, she just makes me more hungrier for some reason. I overeat and then I take a nap. It's all my fault. If he gets fat, definitely my fault. Even though he was the one that really desperately needed food today. In an angry fashion. Here's my thing. <laughs> and we're over it now. <laughs> like, this is in the past. This is it's in the fine. past. But, you know, if you're going to, if you get food, and as soon as you set it down in the oven in the kitchen, like, right when you get home with it, and then the other person who whose food it does not belong to instantly sticks a fork <laughs> in there to take a bite, that's going to set most people off. It, it's going to piss people off. But we're close, so it shouldn't, because you can have as much of my food as you want, and oftentimes you do. Here's the thing, though. None of that in my animal brain, none of that closeness (laughs) matters. All I see is my food is getting fucked with, and I'm like... He does actually, like, growl and yell, and then as he gets food in him, he starts to, like, calm down. The ketones kick in, (laughs) and I start feeling happy chemicals, and then I'm loving, actually, after I've eaten and I'm full... But um, before, uh, I'm very angry. But as a tip to everyone out there, if you want to take a bite of someone else's food, at least let them have a few bites first. But you you take too long. You're very ritualistic and you want to set everything up. I'm weird about food because I like food a certain temperature. All I'm saying is if you want to avoid getting yelled at, (laughs) it doesn't matter how slow or fast they are. If you want a, a bite of their food, let them take the first few bites at least and then... Ask for a bite. I wasn't going to come come in here and reach over you. Well, then that's that why you got barked at. Yeah, and that's just normal. I don't even take that personally. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to react how you're going to react. And then we're going to get over it because that's what we do. This marriage is a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> it's a farce. I don't get anything out of this. Um, Up next, we're going to be talking about the case of Liza Montgomery. This is a fraud case. Uh, this is also, I want to say, in one of the earlier seasons, maybe season two or three. Um, this is a lady who hit up Las Vegas and just treated it like her personal playground of shit that, ooh, I want that, ooh, I want that, ooh, I want that. She went on a Michael Jackson type of spending spree. the, The scene in, uh... Uh, living with Michael Jackson with the Martin Bashir interview where Michael and Martin go to the mall in Las Vegas. He's like, ooh, I like that. I want one of those. Uh-huh. And I want one of those. <laughs> and Martin's like, Michael, good Lord, this is $45,000. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not cheap. I, I I like, I just, I like what I like. Yeah, that this was basically her um, for a day. So a couple, like a couple days. So I'm going to pass the football yeah. over to Stefania and she'll be narrating. And I'm slightly dyslexic. So luckily for you guys, this is a shorter one to read. In December, 1990, a woman named Liza Montgomery went on an expensive and fraudulent Christmas spending spree in Las Vegas. On Friday, December 21st, she visited local businessman, Mark Hughesby, responding to his newspaper ad, offering to sell an expensive mink coat and a two-carat diamond ring. Although Mark asked for her her to give him cash, she instead gave him a cashier's check, claiming that her bank had closed early. He asked for her identification to ensure that the check was legitimate. He thought it was, so he let her take the items. Um, And one thing he said uh, specifically about that is he thought it was a little bit odd that she just kind of treated the mink coat any old way she just kind of like chucked it in the back of the car like it you know like it was worthless or like it just you know was uh 
useless. He so. said he said her personality was like an excited schoolgirl, and he wanted cash for the mink coat, but she um, she brought a check instead, which was kind of like the first red flag for him. Because I'm guessing mink coats are expensive. Yes, notoriously so. Why the fuck do you need a coat made out of an animal skin? I don't know. Unless uh, it, if you're a Viking, then it does make sense. But in this day and age, you're a dick. And that's all it really is, is you're a dick. Later that evening, she arrived at a jewelry store and purchased two rings that she had selected from the previous week. Once again, she paid with a cashier's check, totaling $39,000. The next day, she purchased $23,000 worth of furniture. That's a lot of furniture. Again, using a cashier's check. She packed the furniture into an old brown moving van. That's funny because in the reenactment, it was definitely red. Um, throughout the weekend, she continued her Christmas spending, her Christmas shopping, always paying with cashier's checks at nine different stores. She picked up a hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry, furs, and luxury items. That, that, uh, got anything to add to any of that? Um, oh, well, one thing that I did think was funny was, um, when she was, going to the uh, when she was at the jewelry store and she was purchasing those rings the jewelry guy the jeweler jeweler that's kind of a hard word for me to say he was like you know you're really lucky getting these two rings for this price mm-hmm. and her response was just so like i know they say that there's dad jokes or dad phrases but this was a total mom phrase to say she's like i guess that's why they call me lucky oh. and it's like oh god that was very cringy I hate dad humor, but yeah, mom humor's painful. Luckily, my mom's funny. Yes, your mom is funny. And doesn't do that. Sometimes funny for the wrong reasons. That's true. Entertaining is right. However, some people became suspicious of her purchases, especially Mark Hughesby. Shortly after selling selling his coat and ring, Mark began to suspect that her check might be no good. Now... Wouldn't that be the first thing you'd do with it is like take it immediately to the bank to prove that? that? That's me. I would want to know immediately, not just go on crazy chases. He drove to a gated community looking for the address point, uh, printed on her identification card. When the security guard told him that the address did not exist, Mark went home and contacted the police. However, the police told him that they could not do anything until the bank received the check and determined that it was counterfeit. Meanwhile, at the furniture store, Montgomery had, had trouble fitting all of her new furniture into the van. The store owner offered to let her borrow one of their trucks, but she became belligerent, demanding that they fit everything in her van. After the van was loaded, the owner decided to follow follow it in his own car. When the van turned in a different direction from the address given, the owner told his wife to call the police. That, yeah, this was fun. That, 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 <laughs> that to me is like, I don't know, that is so above and beyond what you would think any store manager or a store owner would do in a situation like that. Like you hear all the time of the um, kind of the stereotypical, like young black kid getting followed around, followed around in the store by the store manager. And it's like a racial profiling thing. But uh, you got Karen here. Who's uh, going in the store. I know her name's not Karen, but you know, the whole Karen thing you got her in there and um, she's got it so bad that uh, the the dude's following her home. (laughs) He's not just following her around the store. And apparently he made this like a a thing with his wife. They had, I don't even know how this works. They had walkie talkies. Yeah, the store (laughs) owner gave a walkie talkie before he started following this lady. I guess he had enough time to go home, give his wife a walkie talkie and they, um, they kept one with each other and he was like, giving her a play-by-play of what was going on as he, like, pursued her and followed her around. Yeah, and then he had her, like, call the cops. I want to know what the heck kind of walkie-talkies that had that kind of radius. Like, what, is this military They sure grade? as shit weren't from the toy aisle, at, you know, <laughs> back when I was a kid. The walkie-talkies that we had as kids fucking sucked. God, they were awful. You go in the other room and it's like... Yeah. And and did were yours? Did they have that button where you could beep out these like Morse code? Uh huh. Yeah, and we didn't know what to do no, with that ever because no. what kid knows fucking Morse code? <laughs> like the really weird ones that didn't have friends to use walkie talkies with. Like 
were we all on a stuck on a nuclear submarine in the 40s so we all needed to learn this morse code and it's like no man we we, we were watching cartoons and playing nintendo come on now. We, we weren't but apparently like you know like the, the grandparents were like just in case they're lost in the woods they need Morse code. Oh, clearly T is <laughs> dash, dash, dot. Then you wait, dot, dot, dash. I just can't imagine how long it would take to get a message in Morse code. Well, I mean, I guess why they, that's why there's all these abbreviations. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many Morse code abbreviations there are. Sorry, I just have to know this right now. Yep, he's, he's on a mission. Uh, Morse code abbreviation. If I'm sounding it out as I'm typing, there's not as much dead air. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, that's totally the only reason. Oh, wow, okay, there's a lot. So there's AA, which means all after, used after, question mark, to request a repetition. AB, all before. ADRS, address. ADS could also mean address. AGN could mean again. Don't go through this whole list. There's a lot. There, what's the, DX is distance. That's not what I know DX for. Um, see if there's any interesting ones here. Wilco. What does Wilco mean? Uh, love and kisses is eight eight. I understand and will comply. Oh, okay. Used on receive an order. Roger and Wilco used together are redundant since Wilco includes the acknowledgement element of Roger. Roger you Wilco. Stupid idiot. I didn't know that. <laughs> This is a procedure word. Oh, you like that. This is also called a rabbit trail. Let's get back to the story. <laughs> now that you've lost my place. Roger. All right, let me see where I was. Keep making noise while I find it. Here we go. Okay. Investigators were suspicious when they learned that Montgomery was involved in both incidents. They tried to locate and detain her. The furniture store owner had followed her, her van to a residential neighborhood five miles away. He watched as she exited the van and entered a red car while a man entered the van. Basically, they did a, like a, a switcheroo change-up. The store owner then followed the van and red car. As the police tried to catch up with them... Okay, that was the sentence. The store owner then followed the van and red car as the police tried to catch up with them. That was just a weird comma. At an intersection, the van made an illegal right turn. Montgomery then got out of the car and tried to confront the store owner. He sped away, fearing that she had a we- that fearing that she had weapon. Yeah, I that's, mean, I, I would it I would assume is, that but, as well. I assume everybody has weapons. That's uh, why I don't. Obviously, that's why I don't like picking fights with people in public, especially people I don't know. You know, like I, I'm not I'm not a very violent person as it is, except no. if you mess with my food. <laughs> But um, I don't know. I'm kind of used to that. My sister used to try to like stab me with a a fork if we tried to eat like her brownie or something. Yeah, I totally understand her doing that. I mean, I we were all supposed to share it. It was a a, a shared dessert. And you just kind of like sat back and let her do her thing until she stopped growling. And when she put her fork down, then everyone else could have some. Yeah, but I just assume that everyone has like a weapon on them because it's it's dumb to not assume that. Because yeah. what do you get if you don't assume that? You get a fucking knife in your fucking spleen or a bullet in your ass. Yeah, no, there was a really sad story of a woman in Atlanta who was driving with her twin daughters who were like teens. And I guess she was driving too slow. And uh, a guy just like shot one of her daughters, killed her. And, Holy shit. Yeah, like I was like, she didn't even do anything. I could have went my whole life without knowing that story. I know, it upsets me. Are you the, one of those sick fucks, <laughs> like my mom, I, who hears about a, a fucked up, disturbing story and has to has to <laughs> put that on everyone else too? No, in this instance, I just felt that it was uh, appropriate, but it, it was it was potent. Like people aren't people aren't always thinking about what they're doing, and I feel like if you're that fucking trigger happy, guess the one thing you don't need to own is a gun. Uh, me and Mike are very pro gun on this podcast. Stephanie, you're really turning away a lot of our followers. Yeah, I know by by the tens. Mike's I, Mike's got at least uh, fifteen different guns. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like not every idiot needs a gun. Go figure. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, back to where I was. Um, she then proceeded to follow him. After a three-mile chase, the store owner pulled over at the side of the road. Montgomery drove past him and disappeared. She probably flicked him off. Police searched the area but found no trace of Montgomery or the man with the van. Investigators believe that she later bought 
several slot machines. I don't know why that's in parentheses, I guess, because she isn't actually paying for things. A few weeks later, her car and van were recovered. Both had been rented. Investigators learned that she that she rented them using a cash deposit instead of a credit card. The rental agency gave the police one clue, a copy of her photo identification card. To date, she remains at large. Except she's not because they caught her. Um, and she looks kind of like Stevie Nicks, actually. Maybe it's like that era, but she just looks a little like uh, Stevie I Nicks. Put my, the note that I made is she looks like my aunt in the 90s. <laughs> big hair, red lipstick, shoulder pads, and oh, the blouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big poofy uh, party in the front sort of thing. Results captured. Liza Montgomery was identified as Ellen Christine Juvera Saez, I think. With the help of the Oregon police officer who had seen the broadcast and was investigating a similar case. With her real identity, investigators were able to locate and arrest her in Hollywood, California. She pleaded guilty to burglary and theft and served time in Nevada State Penitentiary. After her release, she was later arrested and sentenced to prison in Colorado. <laughs> she was released in October of 2016. She's a bad girl. Just naughty little girl. Bad. Bad. You're real bad. You're naughty. Oh. Bad, bad, bad. Oh. Spankings for you, Miss Liza Montgomery. Are you quite done? Uh, I think so. Okay. That's good. Yeah, that was a shorter but sweeter fraud case. Um, shorter is good for me. It leaves me less time to trip over my own words. So that's good. Yeah. So anyway, I guess that's all for this episode. Probably will be a little bit on the shorter side. But um, the people at Himalaya don't realize that we don't put out episodes on Monday anymore. Probably because I haven't told them. <laughs> Why do they not realize that? Well, the communication isn't great over there. Um, anytime I've tried to talk to anyone from there about a certain thing i get like cc'd to someone else and i feel like their team is always changing like the person that i initially talked to that got this podcast into that whole thing is not i don't think is with them anymore and he's been superseded by so many people that i just don't even know anymore but anyway um two og unsolved mysteries cases i hope you enjoyed mike will be back um next week or whenever we get together to do a podcast uh hopefully this holds hold you guys over during your quarantine like i said if you want to join the uncovering unexplained mysteries uh facebook group just go to facebook.com go to the groups section and type in uncovering unexplained mysteries and our group should be one of the first things that pops up it's a very awesome group. I've never been in a group before with, with less douchebags than my own group, so that's that's a badge of honor for me. Another advantage is that if they're douchebags, you can kick them out. Exactly. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I wish yeah. real life was like that. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? Uh, if you join our Patreon, um, you'll pay us money every month, but in exchange you'll get uh, perks. For instance, I know for a fact this podcast is going out early. Um that, so you'll get that in, uh, at the $5 a month tier. You can um, actually give us ideas um, for episodes. And we have done quite a bit of those. In fact, if you go back a few episodes previous, you will find that we had almost like it seemed like a week's worth of or a couple or a month's worth rather. A week's worth would be one. Uh, we had a month's worth of uh, Patreon suggested topics. So that's uh, that's an idea for you. If you want to if you want your idea to be featured on this show. Um, and if you want to donate to me right now, currently with the whole COVID-19 thing, me being a DJ, I'm out of work right now. Uh, I've already explained why I don't want to get a, um, $10 an hour minimum wage job. That's not even minimum wage in Florida. It's actually no. more like $8, I think. Something like that. Yeah, I just don't think that, uh, I think my time is more valuable than that now. I think I've I've paid my dues in society, and I would rather bring you guys podcasts and YouTube content and music that may, that bring you joy rather than me bagging someone's groceries wearing a fucking mask. Uh, so anyway, the donations are in the description of this podcast, the Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. Anything you give uh, helps immensely uh, i'm able to pay phone bills internet bills electric bills all that kind of shit that they're not going to give you a deferment on i was able yeah. to get a deferment on my car payment but i still need to do that those ongoing bills uh they they, they what they say is we're not going to cut off service but uh you know mm. whenever you're able to pay again you know you're going to have to take care of these other previous bills that have 
piled up. That's at least how it works for Jacksonville Electrical Association. Anyway, uh, if you want to catch more of me and Mike, you can do so on YouTube. Mike is uh, a movie guy. He talks about movies. It's weird promoting his YouTube channel with him not being here, but I'll still do it. <laughs> Find his videos at youtube.com slash OCP communications. Uh, Mike, what was the last video you did? Okay, you don't got to be that butthurt about it and just ignore me completely. Uh, that was that was kind of a dad joke. That was bad. That was borderline dad joke. Yeah. Anyway, you can find me and Stephanie on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I talk about music related topics mostly. I'm thinking about doing a video game topic, but I can guarantee you uh, the next video that's going to be coming out is me and Stephanie trying Mexican snacks whoop, whoop. that were sent in to us by longtime listener Eddie Romero. Eddie. We love you, Eddie. So I appreciate that immensely, Eduardo. Um, we'll be trying those tonight, actually, after we wrap this podcast up. Yeah, since we already had like our Mexican food coma round one, I think we're just going to go back for more with round two. Yes, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> You know, we wanted to stick with a the theme. But uh, thank you guys for tolerating my presence once again. I pop in here and there, as most of you know. So uh, thanks for dealing with me. I'm always happy to do it. Um, and Mike will be back with you on the next one. Why are you trying to, like, take over like you're going to end the podcast? I wasn't. I just wanted to do you my had little sign You had very endy podcasty tones in your voice. No, I don't do a lot of podcasts, so... That was just my two cents. Just it's hard. I it... jump in whenever you're not talking, and it's hard to do. Just Guys, don't let it happen again. It's, if you ever wonder why Mike talks over him all the time, it's because otherwise you won't get to talk. No, Mike <laughs> talks over me all the time because Mike has been a YouTuber for 12 years all by himself, and he's used to having long conversations by himself in his room. All by myself. I right. want to be. Anyway, uh, until whenever the hell we put out, probably next week or the week after. You never put out. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys.